Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shout at the Oval podcast brought to you by the Castlereagh Glenthorne Supporters Club. I am Diamond Skeen in the Castlereagh Glenthorne Supporters Club and this time it is a bit of a different podcast and that is because I am not speaking to a former player or a manager or a current player or manager or indeed talking to a fan about the current Glenthorne team. Instead, I brought down Sam Robinson to talk about the history of Glenthorne, everything he's been involved in. Um, and what a story he has to tell. Uh, we talk about everything from Sam being involved with the founding board of the Glenthorne Community Trust, right through to all the projects that they were involved in, to, in, um, to him writing his books um, about Glenthorne, uh, The Green Sword and One Saturday Before the War, which of course came a play about um, the Glenthorne Vienna Cup winning team and the documentary on the BBC. So Sam has a really, really interesting story. He's a proper history buff. Um, there is literally no one in this world that you could speak to that knows more about Glenthorne than Sam. Um, and I absolutely love chatting to him. He's someone who I've wanted to get on the podcast for a long time. You could just sit and talk to him all day. Um, so much research, so much thought and dedication has gone in to his, um, his work on Glenthorne uh, and it's all for Glenthorne supporters it's, it's, it's there for everyone um, to, to learn about our history and as he said Glenthorne has one of the greatest histories in football in the whole of the UK and Ireland um, and he is just out to prove that and it's, it's brilliant to talk to him um, and just pick his brains about um, why, why he does it and how he does it uh, and just learn about more about Glenthorne um, on this podcast so hopefully you enjoy the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it so here it is it's this week's episode of the Shout at the Oval podcast with Sam Robinson it's an absolute pleasure to have you on uh, you're very welcome I've a lot to get through today and I can't wait to get stuck in no thanks for inviting me on Matthew uh, when I have players on the podcast, Sam, um, I always talk to them about their earliest football memories, sort of where their playing career started. And I suppose yourself, uh, I'm really intrigued of where your where your love of first started with Glenthorne. Why why Glenthorne and and how you started sporting the club? It's it's actually ridiculous. It goes back probably to when I was around six, and uh, my well, family we we were we were from Solway Street. So I suppose within the shadow of the Oval, if you like, and uh, my whole family, my my dad, my uncles, my great uncle, all the men folk, would have gravitated on a Saturday afternoon round to the Oval. And as a five and six year old, I used to watch them go out the door and be absolutely intrigued by the conversations we were having about these great players and the games and stuff. And some of the bigger games, obviously. Linfield supporters would park their cars in the street and my granny would go out and berate them and stuff, you know. And he used to be, this is incredible. And I begged him to go, you know, please take me with you sort of thing. But uh, I got this I got this mad routine, as I say, when I was six. Solway Street had an outside toilet. And at about five to three, regardless of the weather, I would have took myself out to the toilet with, a, with a, a glass of club orange and a bag of crisps and sat on the outside toilet with the door open because from Solway Street you could hear the cheers coming from the ground sort of thing. And I got into this sort of system of trying to guess the score. I could, I could tell when a, when a Glen Torn go went in, I could tell 
when it was you know silence and sort of things and I used to I used to stand at the door and watch them coming back up the street you know and, and they'd be buzzing about the game whatever and it got to a point where it tortured my dad so much that about at the age of six seven he sort of said right enough's enough you can come with us on this big rite of passage you know we all the big men from East Belfast uh, and and it's it's that whole ritual of and every everybody talks about getting lifted over and things like that you know but but I remember that as if it was yesterday that that, that first game with my dad you know and he wasn't a very as as East Belfast men were he wasn't a very tactile man you know they don't show much emotion but but I remember, you know, you're feeling a big sort of shipyard worker's hands in your rib cage and lifting you over the turnstiles and steering your shoulders to get because the crowds were massive, you know what I mean? I couldn't believe the crowds. And uh, I always remember that sort of the tactful tactfulness, you know, and when a goal was scored, there was grown men hugging each other and all and uh, and I always remember that walk up the city end where the uh, where the superstore is now. I'm walking up there for the first time because all my football had been in black and white you know sort of from the big match and match of the day I never watched football in colour but when you walked up that you walked up that hill and the oval opened out in front of you with the cranes and the colour and whatever that was that was me hooked and everybody has their own story to tell I, I, I knew right away that would be me cradle to the grave I was going nowhere else Every Glenman has what we call like an era. For example, mine was probably the Roy Cole years growing up and watching his team. Would yours have been sort of the more Buckfall Jackson era? The, the years that you remember the best? Or my my idols probably all all came from that. Maybe that seventy four to seventy seven period. Uh, you know, with with the pinnacle being the game against Juventus and whatever. But. Uh, <laughs> Remarkably, you know, Warren Feeney was one of my one of my early idols, and I remember, I remember being heartbroken when he signed for Linfield. I'd been absolutely distraught, you know, even though by that age it was probably twelve or whatever. But uh, you know, a team with Billy Kosky on it, Rob McCreary, and these, you know, these people are still talked about today, and that that sort of then morphed into the the, the Cleary and Jamison era of the nineteen eighties. So, so that would have been my, you know, halcyon days, if you like. Well, back in those days, obviously, when someone joins the Blues from the Glens now, it's it's such a big deal. What was it like back then? Was it as big a deal as it is now? Or oh no, it was huge. It was like you cross the Rubicon. You know, you, you once you go over that bridge, there's no way back. All your legacy's gone. You know, to, to, to my mind, as 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 a, a kid growing up. You know, all that you'd achieved, all you had done, had been forgotten, and uh, and and I suppose in many ways that that's what makes rivalry so great and so intense. That you know, you're you're so patriotic towards your own team, and any sort of betrayal, you know, is is, is taken not in a nasty way, but you know, it's it's, it's taken to heart. I first got to know you through the Glenthorne Community Trust, and I'd say a lot of Glen men are are probably the same in that mm-hmm. regards. Um, the Glenthorne Community Trust. It was more than just a, it was more than just a, a Glenthorn project. It was there was a wider community aspect to it. Um, it was set up in two thousand and six. If I was right, it was set up to basically it was during a, a time where the club weren't in a great position. There wasn't much fan input. Well, it was more, it was more to do with the suggestion at the very start that Glenthorne were going to relocate 
away from East Belfast. I think that was that was the major concern that the, 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 there was a, a viable option of moving out to Cumber, out to Billy Neil, for example, and and the people of my ilk that you know that was you, you couldn't countenance a move like that, uh, and. We, we were sort of directed as supporters, you know, we were told that there was no real feeling for Glen Torn at the, at the like of council and whatever to, to remain in East Belfast. And it was kind of suggested that uh, in, in reality, we should go and start the lobby and, 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 you know, create this interest. And I think it was like an off the cuff remark, thinking that supporters would never actually have the capacity to, to get themselves organised and, and actually lobby. Uh, so so it was one of those things where a real eclectic group of people came together, not realising how difficult it is to do something like this properly. You can't just sort of get a group and, 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 and you have to register. You have to register with Companies House. The, the legalities of it are incredible. But with it, I have always said that if you look in the grandstand at the Oval, you know, you just see supporters with dunchers and scarves and all, but the talent and the skill sets that, that, that are at this club, and any club for that matter, if you can harness them properly, are, are a colossal asset. So that's what we did. We got ourselves organised. We went to London. We spoke to Supporters Direct, uh, which was the government-formed body to look after, because a number of clubs are in the same position right across the UK. And we were told if you if you go down this road, you know the amount of work, the amount of effort that. Uh, but, but the fear of the club going out of East Belfast overrides any of those issues, and so we set about doing what they told us, and uh, were able to register and form, probably, <laughs> probably Ireland's most successful supporters trust. There was a lot of uh, projects um, led by the uh, Glenthorne Community Trust. There was the Home Comforts mm-hmm. appeal, was the, the, the shoe, <laughs> shoe box appeal. It was ridiculous. It was, uh, which was colossal. It was massive. That was that was huge at the time. Yeah, the military told us to stop. <laughs> what actually? I think we're in. <laughs> we're almost going to bring down a helicopter with the way the shoe boxes that we were getting. But but that that was testimony. I, I suppose maybe I should explain what the shoe boxes were. But there were comfort parcels for soldiers in the front line in Afghanistan, primarily Irish regiments. And we were asked to do it just as a, would you like to get involved in in providing some sort of comfort for these soldiers? They, if you remember the shop, the, the Glenthorne shop was based at Conswater at the time. That was a perfect sort of, a perfect headquarters for right beside Tesco, you know, and, and we promoted it and pushed it. And I still have the figure in my head because it was 1,642 shoe boxes that were shipped by, by Glenthorne supporters to the, to the front line in Afghanistan. And remarkably, this is the strange thing about it, we did it, we did it one year and in the second year my own son got one of the boxes in the front line in Afghanistan. Unbelievable. It was. I, I remember it well. I actually um, remember bumping into a guy in in Magaluf of all places who who benefited from the boxes at the time, uh, and it was just it was just crazy to hear. You know, your he was based out there at one stage, and then he was in, uh-huh. on holiday in this place, and he'd heard of 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 Glen Thorne. He was an English guy, um, and he'd heard of Glen Thorne because because of this at the yeah. time. It was it was remarkable. It did. You know, with people come from Bombridge and things like that. There's a brilliant story, Matthew. 
there was one wee man maybe in his mid 70s he's coming out of Tesco you know when we were promoting this this project and he said <laughs> I can't remember who was talking with me but he said what you know what are you doing and somebody said to him we're collecting shoe boxes for the for the soldiers in the front line of Afghanistan so he said right and so he comes back a couple of hours later, and he said, "Listen, you know, there's there's a sh- there's my shoebox, you know, and you know, make sure, <laughs> you know, what's coming next, don't you?" So, so he went away, and we opened it up, and there's there's a pair of size ten brown brogues in it. So, so some some soldier in the front line was like really well dressed, going going to war. You know, but, Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, there, there, there was other uh, unbelievable sort of projects. There was the One Two Five Festival, um, mm-hmm. which was a great day yeah. out. I remember that really well. Um, the mural on the Newton Arch Road, which uh-huh. was really well yeah. received. Draw obviously Glen Torn projects, along with the most recent or more recent, the restoration of the pillbox. Well, well, here, here's the thing. You know, you, if you if you talk the talk, you have to walk the walk, sort of thing. There's no point. The amount of people that put these things together, you really have to get your sleeves rolled up and engage with the community you know and and you can see now you know the Glenthorne partnership and doing exactly that you know and and trying to trying to engage with people and trying to make them I I think for decades there was a there was a disconnect between Glenthorne and the community East Belfast had maybe forgotten about the Glens and the Glens had maybe forgotten about East Belfast you know and uh, and once, once you do that you know, you're in a slippy path because both 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 sides need each other. But uh, so so you've got invite you've got to invite people through the gates who haven't been there before. You got to see that you're trying to make an effort to, for the betterment of the place, the mural, for example. You know, and that's what we did. You, you know, and and such a remarkable group of people that were that were able to carry off these huge projects. The Blitz, the Blitz was ridiculous. It was, you know, the Blitz project. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I never thought I'd see tanks coming down the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. That was held at the Oval. They held at the Oval, yeah. We, you know, we, we managed to bring the fire engines from Drogheda in Dublin that had put the fires out during the Blitz. They they, they, they still were in existence. And, and uh, you know, we, we got the fire brigade down south to, to drive them the whole way from Drogheda up to Belfast. Uh, you know, if you think about that, the, the wheels back in the road, in New Orleans Road, you know, where... The, they tried to put the fires out in the rope work and places like that. Just incredible. The the GCT um, existed right up until around November 2021. Mm-hmm. I think um, it was it was so, sort of seen by the members as no longer could serve a purpose because Glenthorne was running as a private business. Well, that's it. You, you know, it's it's sort of like coming to our come with the man, and, and then it comes to a point where, and you know, we 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 all sat down and sort of asked, you know, as as what purpose would we now serve? Because it is, you know, the whole the whole dynamic has now changed. You know, for years upon years, and, and you you knew more than anybody, we were just firefighting and you know raising money, spared to forty one with supporters clubs and all, just just to keep just to keep the wheel from the door, you know. And that's you can get really sort of battle weary doing things like that when all you in reality all you want to do is watch watch football, you know. But so so at that time of the takeover. You know, it was it was decided that there was no real point in carrying on, and the, the other th- the other thing to note is that when there are no big issues, there are no big big concerns, the membership drops away. It's like oh, everything's tickety boo, and you know, and not that many people sort of put their hands up and volunteer. So you know, if you're if you're doing a reasonable job, or they're always there, 
my you know as being part being part of that trust my my proudest sort of moments are the capacity the the money that was generated to pay players wages you know yeah. I think it ended up we totaled it up something like 65,000 pounds you know in either signing on fees or wages well there was the transfer fees too it's, it seemed like you know the, the clients were knocking on the door the GCT every do, season do you, know, do you know the worst thing but it was it was <laughs> it was Andy Waterworth Aye. Connor Pepper Robbie McDade Jordan Stewart you know it's like once <laughs> once the trust got involved you're destined to, to, to go to Linfield you know so. and then there was um, obviously Aaron Boy, but he great gesture by Aaron he he gave he, he did. didn't take his wages he whenever he got injured wages, yeah yeah you know, top top man yeah remarkable it was uh, looking back on it um i was just going through i was looking up because i've got an email account with i just have never deleted emails from and i've got every email from the gct in there yeah and i was going through today just looking at everything there was a, a minibus for torbank school i'll, I'll uh, tell you better than that there was a minibus for ghana, for ghana. i was gonna That's say that ridiculous. too i was at the oval it was it was parked in the in the oval car park. We actually we actually got. I was suggested that you know the people who run in the academy in Ghana said that they were sort of tired playing the same teams in Sinyani. They just played three teams, and if they had a bus, they could they could sort of get further afield if you like. And naively, we we phoned up Ulster Bus and Milewater Road and said, "Would you give us a bus?" And the guy went, "Yeah." He said, "There's there's six flexi buses up here. We're going to put up the auction. Come up and pick one." So, like, bizarrely, we ended up with a bus, and then and then we looked at it and we went, oh, "Can't send this because it's blue." <laughs> you know, we're not sending the blue bus to the Glenthorne Academy in Ghana. So I think it was a, it was a friend of big Stevie Peaty's who 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 ran a, a signage company down the Harbour State, and we spent days cleaning it and getting it all you know turned from blue to red, green and black, and putting it. The amount of work that went into it was, was was incredible, you know. And then it got the gun and disappeared. It just it, it never turned up at the academy. You're joking. No, I I never thought in my life I've done things like shipping a bus from Tilbury Docks to Accra, you know, and then it uh, as as uh, that you, you know, the, the whole Ghana thing sort of ended up ended up going a bit sour, you know, from, from the guy who was running it. He, yeah, he just there was a spotlight or some sort of indeed, panorama or something. Heartbreaking, Matthew. Yeah. Heartbreaking the amount of effort and even personal finance and things that we put in for the kids, you know. And the kids used to write to me. My my postman hated my boy day, but you know, he would have turned up with like seventy letters. And they all used to write, you know, Mr. Sam, you know, <laughs> it should have been, it should have been an incredible project. But as I say, greed sorted, you know. The When the takeover was happening, um, was the GCT involved heavily in that? Or did they, were they consulted or was it just, because no. there was obviously quite a lot of shareholders. No, it was, it was primarily the shareholders. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a case for the trust or, or supporters clubs for that matter you know the only people who were ever going to make the decision about it were the, the shareholders which rightly so yeah and it, it probably seemed like the only show in town at, look, at the time you know how many people are rowing towards the titanic you know but but what it would what it would, it would caveat the, the, that was you, you know i hit there had been a herculean effort by the people who were there to, to steady that particular ship you know and that and every time Every time there were two steps forward, there was one step back with a, the Cerberus sort of, you know, the loans being, and you, you, you can't account for that, but, you know, I, 
I watched the effort of people and what they did, and and, and it was it was made me proud to be a Glen man. You know, to to get the club to the point where it was still viable and attractive for somebody to come in and go, hold on a minute, I see something in this place. You know, and every, every everybody who did anything or even give a penny towards that should feel really proud of themselves. I always say the same. There's always a line trotted out in the sort of media that we were going to go to the wall without the investment and things like that. But it's, I think that does it a service to a lot of people who it work does, extremely con- hard. You know, that, that's conjecture too. You know, we could have gone to the wall, but on the other hand, you know, we may have, would we have been successful? Would we have been, would we have been hanging around the sort of bottom half of the league? Maybe so, but, but you know, there, there, there was, there was massive effort. And 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 as you say, you know, when when that suggestion would take over, every everybody who's tired and weary and who just wants to watch, you know, I don't I don't even look at accounts anymore of the club. I I just don't, you know. I just go well, you know, it's it's a brand new day here, and and and, and that is a bit of a weight of your shoulders too. Many Glenthorne supporters would now know you as a bit of a, a history buff, um, especially when it comes <laughs> to Glen's. Mr. Vienna Cup. Well, you know, uh, we came into the club here, and the first thing you did is go towards the shirt that's on I the wall. Oh, I know. I, I, I don't want to be an honour actor, but I, but I can't help myself. You know, and there's a shirt in the wall here, which is from 1963, and it's probably, well, it is. It's the second oldest Glenthorne shirt in existence, you know. And that's another one of my passions are the shirts of Glenthorn and stuff like that you know so when you see an artefact like that I just can't help myself but one of my favourite websites of all time was the plan for the shirt website I used to go on it all the time Matthew that was that was 18 months for me and me and Clifford 18 months and you know every single every single shirt from the beginning of the club and and the mad thing about it is that we, if we were to go back and do that now, we'd nearly double it. We'd find so much out that we didn't know then, you know. Like Robinson and Cleaver made our shirts in 1910 up to 1926, you know. All these articles come out of the woodwork and, and then you find more more, <laughs> more stories. And as regards to history, like we have, sometimes you think you've, you've turned over every stone on the beach and then you find a whole new beach, you know. <laughs> Can't help myself. Well, how, how does that come about? Because you're not, you know, the the details that you're finding out to, to is I read the details and I'm like, well, you can, you're not finding that on a Google search. No, uh, well, well, a lot of it is internet based. The, the Vienna Cup thing, for example, you know, you know that that started off with Johnny Infantino coming to the club and and showing a real interest in the Vienna Cup, and and suggesting that they would like to take the Vienna Cup to to Zurich, and. You know, when you hear that, you kind of think, oh, he's only, <laughs> he's only gagging, and stuff, you know, but he's only just being nice. Uh, but, but lo and behold, three or four weeks later, there's an email through from FIFA going, you know, following up Mr. Infantino's, you know, and then, and then there's this, well, how much do we actually know about this thing? And, and I, I, I couldn't find anything other than like six or seven reports on the Vienna Cup anywhere. And and then one one night I, I sat down and went right. I'm going to really deep dive this and see. And I found there's like this, it's like fight club for 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 statisticians. <laughs> like these, uh, it's a real like almost like a black ops of statisticians on on in Europe football statisticians. And I stumbled across them, and uh, and one guy had recorded all the matches the clients had played, in in on on the tour. 
and he had found one thing extra, just just one thing that I didn't know that the Prague match was played in the Belvedere Stadium. So I, I kind of thought, in, you know, he must know more than anybody else. And his name was Javier Garcia. And I sat that night and I, and I, I wrote a standard sort of a, a message and I copied and pasted the about 35 Javier Garcias on Facebook Messenger, right? Because no other way, there's no website, there's no... I go, on, that's, that's like a real speculative punt here. And two and a half hours later, this guy comes back and he went, yeah, I'm Javier Garcia, the Spanish football statistician. And, uh, and he said to me, you've been, you've been looking in the wrong place. If you're looking in Belfast, there's nothing really to be found in Belfast. All all the information you're going to need is in the Austrian and the, the German national libraries. Here's the link. Oh, <laughs> it goes. And I went in and I put Glenn Thorne into this massive resource, this whole, and it was a tsunami of stuff all coming at me in German, all this random German Glenn Thorne. But I could see the names of teams and stuff like that there not. I've struck gold here. And then I thought it was dead easy. I'll just get all the stuff, I'll just get all the stuff translated because of German friends. So I started setting up bombarding them with all, this, all, these, all these pages of newspapers and cuttings. And they were coming back and going that. That's a thing called Fractor font. It's, it's an old Germanic font. Like, you know, like Jägermeister? Yeah. It, and, he's, and they're saying, hard to read. Hey, we can't read this. Yeah. It's like, you know, asking somebody who doesn't Olding, speak Olding Gaelic even to translate something you think's Irish, you know. So, so I was kind of stuck. And just by quirk of fate, this, this fellow who I was dealing with in Prague said, I have a friend who is a, he, he's a PhD in this particular, in, in Germany, in this particular font. And he started to translate everything. And I would, the emails would come in and it's like, look at this. This is mad what I had, you know. When did the interest in, in history sort of start? And it was something you've always been interested in? Don't want to sure to just decide, you know. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's just gathered pace. You, you see, they're, they're, they're a great group. Glenn Thorner blessed to have this great group of people. F- Philip Stevenson, for example, is, is, is such a mine of information, such a resource, such a collector of stuff. We, we had a ball writing the Vienna Cup book. You know, Philip, Philip and I were, we, we went off in this mad odyssey to find everybody's grave. And then Al, <laughs> Alan Gordon, who I'm not sure if you know Alan, Alan jumped in on this too. And, and it was like time thing. And Philip and I were driving about down Patrick and Minerstown and these graveyards and, and, uh, and, and, and looking, looking for the graves of the, of, of the players, you know. And, and Alan then sort of took this as a side project. And we tracked, I think, we tracked everybody down bar one, you know, and that's that's in Scotland and England and all over Ireland and just just mad. You think with no life, like <laughs> <laughs> well, might as well, you know, it'd be worse things you could be spent your yeah, time doing. Absolutely, but, that, but, you know, but, but you know, it has created this brilliant legacy now. You know that I hope Glenthorne supporters are proud of. You know, these these men did remarkable things, just remarkable. Even the likes of the the tours you were taking um, around mm-hmm. the Oval, uh, I they're they're always on. They're Eastside Arts Festival, is that right? Yeah, but, but they're on during the day. On so. during the day, yeah. It was just a. I think it was Carla had suggested the first year, uh, Carla McDermott, that that we yeah because you, yet again you want to be part of the community, you know. And that. I'm I'm so proud of the Oval. I'm so proud of the story. It's it's an absolute pleasure to do it, but. It's it's great when Glen Thorne people appreciate it. It's it's incredible when groundhoppers appreciate it. But when local people who have never 
ventured into the Oval, come to you and say, wasn't expecting this. This 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 place is just it's a time capsule. Yeah, I read a review from someone and they said that they weren't in the football and they went sort of out of obligation as opposed to, you know, because they thought they should. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said that their their mind was blown by the whole thing because it wasn't just statistics about Glenn Warner, there's just so much more to the Oval. It's it's authenticity. It's it's experiencing football the way your dad or your granddad or your, you, you, you know, experienced it and people come from all over Europe. I think we don't realise, you know, the, the sort of plastic and tubular steel football venues that you go to now, they're all much of a muchness. But people come even even Japanese photojournalists, people from Dubai, people from Australia, you know, and and to a man or woman they, they just come up at the end of it and they go, This is you know, it's it's a history, it's a location, it's and I think more importantly than anything, it's a friendliness of the people. You know, you, you know yourself. You just love to see, you know, all these. I, I couldn't at the start believe all these people photographing the breeze block bogs up in Sydney. You know what I mean? <laughs> Why are you doing that? You know, we don't have this sort of stuff in Hamburg. You know, <laughs> count yourself lucky, sort of thing. But they love it. Yeah. Well, what about when, if, if um, a new stadium ever comes for the Glens, I'm sure you'll be absolutely heartbroken at the same time as probably elated because the club needs it. It's, yeah, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there, Matthew. Uh, I'll be heartbroken. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you for a while, specifically from my own perspective, I you know, was was born in Solway Street and then we moved out to Bally Bean Estate. And so so Solway Street, as you know, was, was, was knocked down, so where the Westbourne is now. So it was knocked down. Uh, the flats that we lived in were were condemned and knocked down as well in Ballybean, and and I've I've five kids and I've I've actually nowhere to take them that anchors me to my my childhood, and my family, and so so for the oval to go for me will be the last place where I can actually remember, you know, my, my dad, those memories of my dad, my uncles, and things like that there. And and when that goes, I. You know, I just can't countenance it. But what I will say is, it needs to happen for future generations. Uh, you know, my kids coming through, their kids. You know, people want a different football experience. I think now, and and you know, we're laughing and joking about the breeze block toilets, but you know, yes. we need that. And and the perennial flooding of the oval. No matter what we try to do, you know, it's just. And it is. It's it's survived everything, and it's it's. You know, you know, it's. It stood. It stood by the club. The, the the ground doesn't owe us anything whatsoever. You know. If there was an artifact that you could take away, what would it, what would it be? Oh God, it's a good question. Well, we've pretty much stood at the one sort of crash barrier for 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 all the time in the Sydney man. You know, so so that's that's really quite special to me. Uh, I love the fact that the physio room hasn't really been changed since Bobby McGregor locked it on the night that he sort of went off the off to Sophia and never came back because when you bring people in you bring people in there and you bring them into the boardroom there's an audible gasp you can just you know, people go God look at this and it's lovely to say look we we could actually we could actually have a new physio room but it's kept this way because same as a boardroom you know so you can, <laughs> I uh, I collect number Billy too you know and uh, <laughs> 
I could end up with half the oval in my house if it comes to that. Well, this is the thing. There's, there's uh, talk that in the new stadium there would be a Gentle Museum. Is there any sort of discussions that are taking place about that? Well, well do, do you know what? I, I along with, with numerous others, I, I sort of, I, I, you know, I'd mentioned some folk there, have been have been clamouring for this because Glen Thorne's story and I, I know this for a fact Glen Thorne's story as regards his history is, is second to none it's unique there's no club either in Ireland or in the UK that has a history like Glen Thorne Football Club because we're you know we can be associated with Titanic First World War Second World War the Troubles those great days of, of pioneering football in North America and things like that there the story's colossal the artefacts are insane you know, I was up at the Valley Mac Club a couple of a couple of months ago, and as, as you know, they, they've all the shirts in the wall too. It's it's imperative, it's imperative that before we're all too older, you know, I I, I loved Eric Wright, and you know, and Eric talked about wanting the museum, and and he, he, you know, here's me at fifty nine, and we're still looking for it. And there's there, you know, I'm sure there's funding. I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a possibility for it somewhere. If not at the Oval, even quite near to it, you know. The Vienna Cup, um, we've sort of touched on it briefly, uh-huh. but there's there's so much to talk about because there was one Saturday before the war, the book, yeah. there was uh, Victory in Vienna, the, mm-hmm. the BBC documentary, and then, of course, there was one Saturday before the war, the play. And then we'll have the musical next year. Even better. One ice. Down at the Odyssey. Down at the Odyssey, yeah. Um, we'll have to start with the book, because that's, that's where it all began. When did the idea come to you? The idea came to me once once I had all this, all this, all these reports from, from Germany and Austria. And what do you do with them? And and that coincided with lockdown, and I hate being, I just hate being bored, or <laughs> I get really, you know, so I need to keep my mind occupied, and I, and I started to write, and and it just, it just, it was easy, you know, and all, all, I got I got Wayne Wright's book, which which sort of, nineteen fourteen, it's his travelogue where, he tells you, he actually tells you the time of trains and things like that, you know. If you want to know what time the train leaves Bratislava to get to Budapest in 1914 on a Sunday morning, <laughs> it's there. And and the, the timetable for the, the, the paddle steamers up the Danube and stuff like that. So at all their, at, at, at all their travel information, Celtic sent a journalist with with Celtic to go to, to go to Central Europe a week before the Glens. And he recounted everything. The Glens took the exact same route that Celtic did to get there. So what he was seeing, the Glen Thorne players were seeing, you know, a big battleships going up the Medway and firing their guns and, you know, Austrian troops massing on the Danube, obviously sensing that something was up, you know, so it became this incredible story, you know. And then, and then you looked at all the men individually and who they were and what their jobs were, you know, and they built Titanic and they all knew each other and and it, it, it just became impossible for me not to write the book. How long did it take to write, to write? Six months. And how do you go about getting that published? Is, did you publish it yourself? Or? I did, yeah. The same as Green Sword. <laughs> it, 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 it saves any sort of, you know, the two stories are great stories for Glen Thorne supporters and football people. But beyond that, if, if you go to a publisher, you're you're hoping that people buy it and there's money invested in it. And I found, you, you know, 
just just going to the guys who who printed the program for us and and, and saying, you know, ev- everything was everything was done cottage industry off the kitchen table, you know, to a point where you know, you know there are maybe spell mistakes in it, but I, I, I kind of like that. I kind of like the guerrilla attitude. Of, Here's a book, you know, I wrote it, and and so so that's what it did. It just started off doing that, and 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 then a couple of people who are really really take take great counsel from sort of said there's more than a book in this uh, why don't you consider speaking to a, a production company to, to see if it's a documentary or a film so yet again during lockdown like like Dragon's Den I, I invited this company called Clean Slate up to my back garden and, and these TV executives are sitting in the garden with a cup of tea and biscuit and I'm pitching this story to them thinking you know They'll just glaze over, and they both looked at me and went, "No, this is this is gold dust." And and then we knocked down about four different. You have to clank, you know, get over all these hurdles before it's commissioned, whatever. BBC loved it, and then uh, the production company said, "We've got Holly Hamilton to produce it, or sorry, to present it rather." And uh, on away we went. The next thing you know, you're standing in the Hoyvoort Stadium where the glands, you know, never thinking when you open a word document. <laughs> It's going to end up there. Well, I um, I would listen to a lot of local comedy, a lot of local comedy podcasts, and they always talk about how near on impossible it is to get anything on BBC. Mm-hmm. So it must be pretty blown away that you know something that you worked on. Yeah, and and forty five thousand views in the first night. I don't know what the final figure was, but for it was meant to be forty minutes, and they knocked it down to thirty, much to the you know, disconcertion of the the producer. But. You know, it went out on a Monday night, I think, at like half ten. They had 45,000 people in Northern Ireland watching it, you know. And but it wasn't even just for football supporters. My my wife has no interest in football, oh, and she watched it and thought it was brilliant. It was yeah, you know, imagine walking out of your door in, in I don't know, Hindford Street or, or Erskine Street, and you're told to get a train at half six, right, at, at York Street Station on a Monday night, and you have to be in Prague for half three on Wednesday. You couldn't do that. You know, modern day, you bit a yeah. real push. And, you know, one of these guys are working down the deep water, down the shipyard, and the next thing they're rubbing shoulders, Archduke Albrecht, and, you know, all these, all these. And a lot of things, if you if you, if you were you were at the play, Ian, you know, people actually think they were made up. They weren't. You know, they absolutely weren't. Like these, these things all happened. You know, and the liners are related to a, a German noble... You know, and, and stuff like that's amazing. What was the experience in making the documentary like? Uh, Travelling with the Vienna Cup, uh, you know, just uh, the whole day I was watching it going. You know, you were well travelled during it anyway. Yeah, that's just beyond comprehension. It, it, and and now the people at first Vienna get it too. You, you know, uh, it's I, to be a Glen Torn supporter all your life, and and to be able to be. You know, there when that cup goes back after all those years, uh, I don't know. I you know, it's it's when I'm on a when I'm on a fold somewhere. Like I'll still have, if I have my sanity and my memories, I I I still think about that. You know, how long did it take to make the documentary? Documentary was it was done over two two periods. It was it was uh, four days in Vienna in October November, and then about another five or six back here. You know, because Holly was back and forward. Uh, the the Manchester, so it was whenever she could come, and so it was full on when we were doing it, you know. But uh, 
but yet again, everybody everybody was brilliant. You know, of course we fell in the night against BWs down the Oval Town. That's right. I was. But you just going, this is how did you set this up? You know, the scenes at the end. Because I remember it was I was walking through the turnstiles and Holly Hamilton was doing a shot walking in and there's all the bright lights I was like what's going on here I didn't know yeah. clear. I was like because we all thought we were going to win the league that night do you, do, do you know the other lovely thing if everybody who's become involved with this story is completely hooked now so like you know Hollywood still sort of message you know if the clans get a good win and all the actors like I've had the actors down at the Oval and there's this mad the first run of the play was I think we were playing Balamine and the game got called off after about twelve minutes. Oh, the rain. And the three three guys in the first run had come to watch the game. And uh and we were soaked with the skin and I went, I'm sorry lads, you know, but I'm I'm heading on home. And the three of them who you know, I think Forrest from Dundalk or whatever, Dracula, the three of them said, Well we're going for a pint in the bar, you know. So I'm I'm back home about an hour and a half later watching the TV I'm a but Tartan Lounge pan having a glass of wine. I get this I get this video from the bar to Oval and the three of them's Irish dancing in the bar, you know, <laughs> half blocked and I go, Oh, what a what have I created here? Well on on the play that that came um after the, the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um the little sanctuary Sanctuary Theatre. Sanctuary Theatre. Yeah, yeah. And it's two runs. To- two totally runs. Sold out. sold out. Could could have put it on again. Uh I've ended up as a result of that because because you, you, yet again, you know, to have a theatre in East Belfast, uh, my dad was from Euston Street, mum from Solway Street, to have a theatre on Castle Ray Street, uh, which produces Shakespeare and all these incredible plays, uh, and and they asked me on they asked me onto the board because obviously they want to develop this into a really really you know brilliant cultural venue for East Belfast. So I think they're now at the last kind of think there's four Glen Thorns supporters. I've kind of you know, hooked all these people into the cult as well. So we're bringing, we're bringing people who we can spot as, as as having real assets. You know, so Lauren Dunlop's in there, John Cordner's finances. So, as a result of the play, we're now a, a really proactive board down there. You know, and fingers crossed, you should you know expect great things down there. Maybe in the next sort of ten or twelve months. Yeah, I would I would recommend anyone um, that check it out if they haven't been before that they do a comedy night there once a month to Fiverr. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's yeah. it's well worth going to. Yeah, you know it's it's also really strange having a bottle of Stella in a church. No, I no, I look, I look <laughs> you know I have to I have to say the uh, you know the the, the the parishioners and the church itself have been great. It's a great it's a great kind of a vibe down there. But it le- for one Saturday, it just lent itself perfectly to it. You know that nineteen fourteen. And I sat and watched grown men crying, Matthew, you know, and, and one minute they're roaring my laughter and the next, if you sit at the back, you can see the glasses coming off and the white, because you, as you know yourself, the end is really quite emotive, you know, so, it, uh, no, yet, yet another uh, another great thing to do, I, I just love portraying Glenn Thorne in the light, you know, that I believe, you know, would deserve to be portrayed in, you know, so so many great people and so many great stories and how do you go about writing the play because it's obviously it's <laughs> the same way you go about making a documentary you know you just go I'm going to write a play uh, I co-wrote it with Trevor Gill so Trevor Trevor's creative director down at the sanctuary and his uh, he's 40 years experience Royal Shakespeare Company and places like that you know so so it was one of those button you know he'd write a scene and knock it back to me and I'd kind of go you know, and 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 it worked. The same sort of way I, I write where 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 Ricky too, uh, just bought it back, and it, it just comes back perfect. You go, oh, right, I can do this with this now, you know. But 
but I'm learning. You know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm still learning. I I went to the play um, the day after we beat the Blues 3-0 <laughs> but I want to talk to you about that night what was that like that must have been strange because I'm, I'm assuming you were at the show mm-hmm. was that the opening night or maybe was it, the night? it was it, well, it was early on anyway because yeah. it was early on in the, in the run um, but what was it like for you Glenn's beating the Blues 3-0 it's like you couldn't make it up it's, it's written in the stars and, and not only that I'm, I'm getting the, there are parts of the plays you know with some of the actors go off stage yeah I get I get WhatsApps from the actors sitting in the dressing room because two nil of the glands and all you know. So it's <laughs> so as I say, everybody's so invested in it now, you know. But oh, no, you couldn't have made that up. As I say, I couldn't have scripted that. And the standing ovation night after night. Night after and night, and yeah. And and look the the amount of people, you know, we had with Ali and Ali and Mick and Wendy and Carla on the first night, the opening night. Uh Marcus came down, Marcus Kane and his wife had come down, uh, quite a few directors and but but you know, the Ballymac the Bally Mac came in mass, the Raven came in mass with supporters clubs coming in, it's just perfect, you could have a beer and whatever and but with people coming from I must tell you if I've, if I've, if I've time, I must tell you stories. Yep. Yeah, look we we did a Saturday, Saturday matinee on the last on the last run. And and this this family from San Francisco had opened Watson in Belfast, and and read this one Saturday before the, not knowing what it was about, so they arrived then from 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 San Francisco, and and you know we're we're sitting there and it was obvious they were, you know they were the, they were kind of out of their comfort zone sort of thing, but there's a, there's a part in the play where where the goalkeeper goes missing where Leslie Murphy disappears I'm not ruining it for anybody, <laughs> but. But he disappears, and and Philip ends up asking the audience, "Is there a goalkeeper in the house?" But at that point, obviously, we've planted the goalkeeper in the audience. He puts his hand up. Everything works smoothly. He gets on stage. But the family had the, it was a mother and father and their son and his girlfriend, and the, the big guy was about twenty-eight, you know, and he's six foot four, and Philip is saying, you know, says to the crowd. Is your goalkeeper nice? And this guy puts his hand up and he goes, I'll give it a go. And before we can stop him, he's up on stage, right? <laughs> go, what do we do now? We and he, he wouldn't go. He wanted to take part in something, you know. And I go, this is unreal. But but they went on the trip advisor at, at the end of it and they said, we stayed the weekend in Belfast and this was far and away the best experience, you know. And then talking about all the Glen Thorn flags in the walls or whatever, you know, so. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's truly unbelievable. And, and the, even the, the casting process, um, because the cast were amazing. And both I know times, the, the, both the, times, the, yeah. the girl in the first one. Philippa, yeah. Philippa, yeah, she, she was singing at the Lush Classical. Not one. only that, Philippa, so, so yeah, Philippa O'Hara uh, sings, sings at Lush. Well, we had to sort of break her out of the last scene on one of the Saturday nights because she was singing to 10,000 people at the Odyssey. Like straight off, straight off the stage, uh, and y- y- you know, coming off dressed in a, in a in a Royal Irish <laughs> uniform, in their in their gold lamy dress, and straight on the straight on the stage at the Odyssey. But but Philippa has actually just come back from a run on Broadway, so so she she pretty much left the last run up on Saturday and went to Broadway. Forrest Campbell, as you know, uh, he he's he's been in two or three BBC dramas, World and Fire, for example. The standard of the actors, we kind of thought we could never recreate the first time with with three new male members, you know, and they were off the scale, you know, and they all loved the story. 
Do you think you do a third run? Or? Yeah. We kind of said we were breaking that up, you know, uh, for fear of sort of diluting the... But but you know what, if the demand's there... I'd, I'd love to do it in, in in conjunction with, I don't know, maybe the redevelopment of the stadium. I'd love to do it at the Oval, actually, on a stage at the Oval, you know, actually on the pitch. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll use the grandstand or something like that there. Yeah. I think that would be kind of cool. And what about um, sort of plans for the future? Um, you've now given play right in the go. I see you've maybe got you've got something else coming out in, in the new year. Yeah, I've two, two, two more, two more plays. Uh, uh, I, I, I just got the bug for it. I, I really did. And when you've got your kind of your own theatre where you can put it on, it's half the battle, you know. And as I say, we know there's a wealth of great talent out there. Uh, so, so the first one's a one-man show, actually starring one of the actors from the second run of One Saturday. And bizarrely, it's called Guy Mitchell's Dog's Dead, Pass It On. But it's about, it's about growing up in Belly Bean, you know, in the 70s. My kids always asked me what it was like, and I had nowhere to take them to show. So I started writing and turned it into a play. And the second one's called Stop in the Middle with You, which is set in the back of an RUC Land Rover, uh, 1996, on the Alper Bridge Road, in the middle of a rat. And it's a completely different kettle of fish entirely, you know. But but you know what? It's uh, it's it's a joy to do. Well, Sam, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Brilliant talk to you. Um, love picking your brains. I've wanted to get you on for a while, and uh, just came up with the perfect time. There's just so much happening. Um, it's I one Saturday before the war was absolutely brilliant. And if you do do another run, I uh, would recommend anyone to go see it. And this check out the Sanctuary Theatre too. Most people don't know it's there. Yeah, I didn't know it was there. Yeah, I thought right. I thought it was a church. I think yeah. I'll, I'll just just the church. Ricky's actually playing on it. Ricky Warwick's playing on it next week. We show on there, you know, which sold out in three hours. You know, we put on a wee show there. But Bless uh, Matthew, thanks for having me on. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Any time at all. Brilliant. Thanks, son. Take care. Another episode done and dusted. Thanks so much to Sam for coming on and chatting to me, for giving up his time and for um, for sharing all his thoughts and just un- unboxing everything he has there to, to go through. Glen Torn is so fascinating. Uh, there's so much that I would never have known about the Glens had it not been for Sam's work. And I know that everyone loves reading what he has to write and hearing what he has to say. So hopefully you all enjoyed that just as much as me. Um, coming up on the podcast, hopefully we will have another... They've been a bit inconsistent this season so far, just from one thing to another. Either it's guest availability or it's my availability. I'm just mad busy at the minute. That's just the way it is. Um, Spotify rap stats are out. Thanks very much to everyone um, who has been sharing those. Uh, uh, whether top 1%, 5%, 3% the listeners, whether I'm in your top 5 or not, or maybe your number 1 listener. Who knows? Um, so yeah, get the screenshots up, uh, share them on social media, um, and, and I'll, uh, I just love having a look at them. It's just it blows my mind. The listenership's up this season um, by about thirty-five percent this year. It is, and most listened to episode of the year is Scott Young, uh, comfortably I think. Um, with behind that was the live one, but it wasn't wasn't too surprised to see that the Scotty Scott Young episode is up there. Thanks again, and I will speak to you in a couple of weeks.